0: Lord, I'm thankful for uh, this time uh, together. Um, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I'm aware that none of us would have a pure desire to gather together, fellowship, pray, study the word, and worship in song if not for a work outside of us. If not for you reaching down in your grace while we were still sinners, we would not be here on our own. We would not choose to read the word. We would not choose to pursue holiness and to to put the glory of someone else on display in our lives. So, The fact that we have that desire, the fact that we are here, the fact that we have the word and that we could have any understanding in it is completely owing to the fact that you are a sovereign God, more compassionate and merciful than we could ever understand. And we want to make very clear that we humble ourselves before you tonight. As we are in the word, let us not use it as something that makes suggestions for our lives. Let us not use it as something that gives us ideas for living that's more pleasant. It is so much more than that. Lord, as as we've been going through Exodus, I'm realizing that in a lot of ways we're we're moving backwards. And we're beginning to really have understanding, true understanding, in things that are sort of common to us daily. Um, Things like worship and sacrifice and anointing and holiness and unto the Lord all find their real meaning in these things that you are breathing out to your chosen people Israel in those first days as they're experiencing freedom from Egypt. Lord, you are so good. I pray that you would guide our time according to your purposes. Let us increase in understanding of your will so that we can increase in obedience for your glory. We love you very much. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 30 has kind of surprised me. I actually, um, the plan originally a few weeks ago was to try to cover Exodus 30 and 31 in one night, and then maybe get to 32 tonight particularly, and I'm hoping we get through the rest of 30 tonight. It's just, as you dig into it, you realize, my goodness, there's a lot there. I thought it was just a few uh, extra tabernacle de- tabernacle details uh, on the end of the story, and sometimes that's why you need to spend more time in the Word. Uh, I had read through it and journaled through it, and still didn't realize even closely, even remotely, what was here. And so uh, I'm hoping we can get through the rest of Exodus 30 tonight. Um, last week, we began Exodus 30, and... One of the things we've always considered is, if, if it doesn't speak of Christ, it doesn't really speak to the Christian. And so we always ask, well, where do we see Jesus in this? You know, every aspect of the tabernacle, its furnishings, the priesthood, uh, the sacrifices, the, all of it has something to say about Jesus. And if we look closely at it and we pray through it, we have found in every single circumstance, including these last four details... We see Christ in every aspect of the tabernacle and temple. We see how he's moved, what he has done, what he is doing, our responsibilities therein. It's very, very detailed and it's deep and it's good and it's rich and it blesses God's people to understand God. So last week we we had, there were two altars. There's two particular altars that we've looked at. Do do y'all remember what they are? The altar of incense, which was made of what? Gold. Okay. And what was the other one? The bronze altar. And what was, what was that used for? Sacrifice. Okay. So what is the difference in how we see Christ in the bronze altar and how we see Christ in the golden altar of incense? There's a distinct difference in how we saw Christ in each of them. How do we see Christ in the bronze altar? Blood and guts, exactly. What does that mean? Yeah, Christ was the sacrifice that allows us to be accepted by God. What's the word that means wrath absorber? Propitiation. And so we see these sacrifices, these propitiatory sacrifices, the spilt blood of the sacrificial lamb upon the bronze altar, and we see Christ dying a bloody, terrible, heartbreaking death for his people. There's no other way for us to be accepted. There's no other option, no other route, uh, no other concoction of plans, no variation of that, Christ alone is the way that we are counted righteous before God because it's his righteousness counted as ours. If he had not died, that wouldn't be possible. So we see that bronze altar. We see how the priests day in and day out would go there and sacrifice animals for the people so that God would would, uh, not count their sins against them but accept them as his children. And so we see the death of Christ in the bronze altar and how precious it is to God's children. How do we see Christ in the golden altar of incense? Yes. And where is the golden altar of incense? Yeah, the holy place. Right next to what? Yeah. Yeah. The ark, the presence of God, where God would sit, the mercy seat, where he would be there present with Moses. That's where that golden altar is. So do we see Christ bloodied and on the cross at the golden altar? No. What do we see? Seated, in session, raised from the dead. That's the other part of the story. You can't leave that out. Uh, sometimes we share the gospel and we leave out really important details and we don't realize it's like, you need Jesus. Okay, I accept Jesus. Fantastic. See you later. Well, what, what for? Well, to be forgiven for your sin. Well, why? Well, because sin separates you from God. Okay, so why do I need Jesus? Well, we can try to share the gospel and we can pray a prayer with someone not even getting to the point that reconciliation with God, the point of the gospel, is God. That's where we're being brought to. It's not just heaven. It's not just not hell. It's not just forgiveness. It's not just that your sin isn't counted against you. It is for the purpose of bringing you to God. The presence of God should be dear and important to the people of God. And so we see there in that golden altar that We don't see sacrifices being made. We don't see it covered in blood day after day after day. We see the sweet incense being burned on the golden altar in the presence of God. And what is Jesus doing for us right now? Interceding for us. That should really affect us. Christ at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints. What does it mean to intercede for the saints? To speak on our behalf. Is there anyone better to speak on your behalf in the presence of God? Absolutely not. So we see in the bronze altar, and we see in the golden altar, we we see Christ in both of them, but we see a full picture when you put them together of one who died, sacrificed his life, the innocent blood, propitiatory blood spilled for the good of the saints so that they could be accepted, and then you see in the sweet presence of God, intercession being made by Christ, who is no longer on the cross, no longer in the tomb, seated in in session, ruling and making intercession for, for the saints. And what was the incense significant of? The prayers of the saints. We'll come back to that in a second. What, is the, uh, what was a census tax for and not for? We'll start with the latter. What is a census tax not for? Yeah, you're not buying forgiveness. It's, it's weird. When you're reading through all of this, you see these things going on, you're like, oh, man, we could never earn that. God made a way. Christ is good. Sacrificial lamb. Oh, man, this is so good. And then you get to, the Lord said, when you take the census of the people, each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them. A ransom in the form of money. It needs to be made clear that that is not, 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 us buying our forgiveness, buying our redemption, buying our approval. That would very much cheapen the blood of Christ if that was the case. So what was the census tax for? Yes, there's a price for salvation. You're not buying it with the census tax. You're acknowledging every one of us I mean, did the guy next door who was a real bad sinner have to pay more than this guy who was um, pretty nice to people? No, that was the point. It was the same amount. So only the blood of Christ is sufficient for the payment of sins for every sinner. It doesn't vary. Everyone is equally guilty and everyone is equally forgiven in that blood. And there's no other way. There's no other variance or form or concoction that you can put together to achieve that. And the census tax reminds us of that. It's for people who have been redeemed, being reminded that um, this costs something. And when God numbers us, he numbers us for the same reason we number things. What did we talk about last week? Why would we number something? Do I do your taxes? Do I check your bank account? Oh, I don't own that. Yeah, I, I would count something because I own it. And when, Christ, when God numbers us, as he does here, it's a reminder that he does so because he owns us. We belong to him. We are his. So even in the census text, which at first read is like, that's so weird and seems out of place, it's gospel, 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 gospel. It's really great. Now, uh, Christ in the census text was seen in equally guilty, the same amount, and only the blood of Christ will suffice, and redemption views all men on the same level before God. Redemption doesn't say, oh, i got to reach low for him, not so low for him, all on the same level, because God is that Holy. So, the aroma of incense from our prayers, what did we learn about that last week? The priest would go in, there'd be the incense burning from the golden altar. What does that tell us about our prayers? Say that again a sweet aroma to God. And what happens if the people of God don't smell that incense? What would be the the question that would come to mind? What is wrong? Why is the incense not going up? And if that's indicative of the way our prayers are supposed to be, have you prayed today? If not, what is wrong? That's what that equates to. It's significant. There's a constancy, a dailiness, because we value the presence of God. The incense going up is an aroma that would say, we are being interceded for. We are being cared for. We are being ministered to. God is good. He is present. He is made a way by the sacrificial blood of the lamb. We could not do this on our own. We wouldn't even be free if he hadn't brought us out of Egypt. That instance would remind you of so many things. And if it's not there, you'd say, what's wrong? It's the same way with your prayers. Do we value the presence of God? Do we value that our prayers can go places that we, we ourselves cannot go right now? So look at verse 30. uh, Verse 17 in chapter 30, the bronze basin. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. Just to be clear, what's it for? Washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, in which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, Or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations." Anytime you're studying the scriptures, it is necessary to pay attention to things that are repeated. So, what is the thing repeated in these verses? That they may not die. Why might this be significant? Yes. Yes, um, we, Yeah, it looks like maybe you can't be washed enough. Yeah, this is, uh, has any of this happened yet? Let's just make sure we remember that. That's what's so weird about studying this for weeks on end. None of it's happened yet. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai, 40, day, 40, 40 days, 40 nights, and God is communicating to him what his will is. So none of this has actually happened yet. But when the time comes for this to happen, what has already happened to the priests? Yeah, they're preparing and they were prepared. How were the priests consecrated before they would ever go in and wash their hands and feet? They were anointed, covered in blood. What about before the covered in blood part? Yeah, they were washed, head to toe, holy garments, priestly garments. Remember that, and then those priestly garments covered in blood and then anointed with oil. So they've already been washed head to toe, yet still daily they have to wash their hands and their feet. Um, What are they doing which would cause them to need cleanness? Yeah, offering sacrifices. Before who? God. They're going into the tent of meeting And it says they're ministering. The word used there is ministering. That informs us. In this section, we're reminded, as one commentator notes, that uh, the tabernacle, uh, in the tabernacle, we are not only receiving a blueprint. It's not like, you know, there's pictures that, remember those like few weeks in a row where I had pictures that I was going to bring and I never did? If we had those pictures, if we could look at those pictures, we would see what the altar looks like, what the Holy of Holies looks like, what those curtains look like, what the acacia wood poles with all the rings look like, what all that gold overlay looks like, what the priestly garments look like. But this is much more than just a blueprint. What we're seeing in the tabernacle is more than a blueprint, but it's also about the practical details of ministry. There's so much in here about the practical details of ministry, the dailiness of the saint. Now, as I say ministry, don't think, oh, cool, you're about to tell us what you do as a pastor. No, no. The saints are equipped for the work of ministry. So this informs each of us sitting here, if we indeed are God's children, practical details of ministry. That said, is the basin for the Lord's benefit or the people's benefit? Yeah, a reminder to the people to not casually approach God's word. Particularly, how would we be doing that casually if we didn't wash? What's another word for casual in that setting? Say that again? Unprepared? Unprepared? Unclean? What's another word for that? Dirty. Yeah, it's not a trick question. I'm really just trying to get to the heart of, if you don't clean, you are dirty. Um, uh, so, it's a benefit for the people. And the reason for that is that it is a picture of daily sanctification, daily cleansing, receiving of new mercies every morning, and a reminder of the problem of ongoing defilement. I mean, I remember as a child struggling with okay, I have prayed to receive Jesus into my heart as my Lord and my Savior and my treasure, yet I still want to punch my brother in the face. Why is this still a problem? I thought I was new. I thought I was a new creation. I thought the old is gone, the new is here. I thought I had this new self that I put on. I thought I was walking according to the Spirit and not the flesh, yet I still want to punch my brother in the face. Why is that? There's this picture of ongoing defilement, so there is a picture of sanctification. What is a, how would you describe sanctification? Process of what? Change. Particularly, what is the change in this circumstance? Being made what? Holy. Absolutely. The Lord invites us to come freely to him. That's true, right? You don't have to, you don't bring anything that merits favor with God. He invites you to come freely Here's the problem. We have no permission, you already used the word, but we have no permission to come before him casually and carelessly. And I think that's actually a bigger problem than we might realize, especially in our culture. He says, it's a free gift, but you can't be casual, flippant, or careless about it. Turn to Psalm 119. As you turn there, before we read the verse, I have a question for you. For us today, what is the difference, which will likely play out in how it looks, but what is the difference for us today between approaching the Lord freely in a solemn and holy manner and approaching him freely in a casual and careless manner? How's that going to be different? For us today. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, that's a a huge sign of casualness is when we begin to feel as though holiness doesn't matter as much as it absolutely should. Not recognizing sin. Do you come before God? I I just walked right past that bronze basin. I don't even need it. I'm good. Remember when I was ordained as a priest, I was washed like head to toe. I'm good. No, no. That's slippery slope right there. What are some other ways that'll be different? If we are approaching God in a flippant, casual, and careless way, how will that be? made manifest in, in the way that we're living? What are some f- indicators that maybe we've gotten careless in our, in our walk? Yes. Yeah. We, we, not gracious and merciful is usually an indicator that you're not appreciating the grace and mercy. And a lot of times that will be played out in your parenting if you're a parent. Words are empty. And how is that made known? How would someone know your words are empty? Yeah, you follow up your word, you do so you're going to do. So if your actions don't match up, we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And I was singing tonight as we were singing that song. I actually have a really hard time singing that last song. It's a really wonderful song, but um, I would lay down my life just to be by your side. Really? I mean, do we think about those things when we come before the Lord and worship? I would lay down my life just to be by your side? That's a really, really massive phrase. Ecclesiastes says, guard your steps as you draw near to the Lord. Don't offer the sacrifice of fools. Don't let your hearts be far from God. Our words and our actions need to match up. yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 if you then i will yeah yeah Yeah, and it really, if we try to make a deal with God, it minimizes his compassion, or really, it minimizes our understanding of his compassion. You know, you're in a horrible situation, God. If you just get us through this, if you just make this happen, I promise I'll do whatever. It's no, no, no. He doesn't make deals. It's not how it works. He gives grace. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. Trying to make a deal. That's what uh, the devil is into, but not, not your God. Yeah. 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 Is it a matter of Christ not Christ likeness or just having a meadnet, net, a meadnet, net, a, a need met? I almost said tabernacle earlier, tackernacker. Um, it's difficult. Uh, these are a lot of big words. Um, the the word says uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and that's what I love about the verse. It talks about Christ being our Lord and our Savior and our treasure. Sometimes we'll pray with our children, and pray that you know He's your Lord and your Savior. And treasure. Don't forget that part because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and we should treasure Him, and that treasuring will be manifest in a relationship that's not just some need-based thing. It's a relationship where I want to grow in Christ's likeness, so that others can see how great He is. So um, there's a lot of ways that we can take this free gift and this free approach to God, knowing we can't earn it, but but we, we're not flippant or, or Careless about that. If if someone gives you something for free, I um, mean, I remember my dad talking about when I got my first car. He was like, "No, no, I want you to pay for that first car. If I just give it to you, you're going to trash that thing. If you pay for it, I bet you're washing it every Saturday." Sure enough, sure enough. You you, you um, uh, if you see that it's free, you you can have a tendency towards being sort of careless with it. But um, that's not, he, he invites us and allows us to come freely. But we have no permission anywhere in the word to come carelessly and casually. Psalm 119, verse 9. So we're looking at purity in our walk. And it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So how does this inform the way that we wash today? Washed in the word. Husbands, what are you called to do for your wife? Ephesians 5. in the water of the word. It goes for you too. That's the same way a young man keeps his way pure. It's not just like, well, my wife's very needy. She's a weaker vessel. I will wash her in the water of the word. No, no, no. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to the word? Same thing. Um, There's a daily pursuit of purity in the word and in prayer. And for that not to be important to us, would be the equivalent of the priest totally neglecting the bronze basin. Like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm clean. Let's do this thing. What do we have? What's the responsibility today? There's this picture there of, there's a dailiness about it, washing your hands and your feet. Your hands are indicative of everything that you do. Your feet are indicative of everywhere that you go. So all of your life, like Romans 12 says, live for the worship of God, as I was preparing this study, this was actually the point where I had to stop. I just had to stop. I'm sitting in my office, and I saw the reality that God wasn't only concerned with what I was doing, but how I was doing it. I'm preparing a study. Ministry needs to be done. Sacrifices need to be made. Clarity needs to be hopefully achieved in some way. And so I'm preparing the study and I'm going through and I, I had to stop right there at the bronze basin. Um, I don't want to be sensationalizing of, of this or over, overly dramatic about it, but, but it, it, I was grabbed, sort of arrested by this reality that he didn't just care about what I was doing, but how I was doing it. It's the same for all the saints. Remember, it's not just the pastors who are ministers. Y'all are equipped for the work of ministry as saints. What I heard was God saying, the work of ministry is important. And fellowship with me is a blessing. But before you endeavor upon either of those things, consider your own cleanness. Have you washed? Have you confessed your sins with the hope of healing, as it says in James? Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. As a nation of priests and a royal priesthood, we need to hear God saying to us that uncleanness results in what? Death, that you may not die. We can have this free gift and be absolutely careless with it to where we go days, months, weeks, years, not taking seriously how precious it is to be accepted by the Lord and to have his presence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what resulted in my office as I was doing this. I'm like, okay, so at this point, I can either just barrel through and get this study prepared, or I can stop at the bronze basin, basin and wash my hands and feet. I can stop and confess my sins to the Lord. so I stopped in my office. I got down on my face and said, Lord, I'm sinning here. I'm sinning here. I've not surrendered this to you. I'm holding on to this, and I'm struggling with this, and I know that outside of your power, I'm unclean. There's no sanctification happening on my own accord. Um, we need to be careful. years ago, I saw a about the bronze basin. Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty sweet reality. But if you think about it, if you're to be clean, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't follow someone you know, after they've just washed the hands of them for the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of work mm-hmm. that has to be repeated yeah. to go into every single day, you know, yeah. out with the older, the water, and with the new, or whatever. You know, and it's just the work involved in that. Yeah demands, once again, is respect. And yeah. Holiness. Yeah, it, and the only reason that you would take that lightly is if you, as you said, if you begin to lack appreciation for his holiness and for mercy and grace. It's, well, um, where's the bronze basin? I don't know. We're, we're good. I mean, that that would say, I, I am not seeing God as he is holy. Um, so we've got to be careful that we don't take the free gift and use it as a reason for casualness, casualness or careful carelessness in our own lives um personal holiness is no small thing in the eyes of god um god is sovereign um he he has achieved for us what we could never accomplish on our own the gift of grace is is a free gift but that does not mean he does not care about your pursuit of personal holiness uh your daily washing of hands and feet guarding your way keeping it pure by the word um that's no small thing um Think soberly about this. I I really want to take just a moment. We're not going to shut it down or, you know, have quiet or anything. But I would like for you all to consider as you all are leaving here tonight, if you're writing notes, if you're thinking about what you're going to discuss, maybe as families afterwards, think soberly about if there's any sin in your life that you're being careless or casual about. Is there any sin in your life that you're being careless or casual about? And I think if each of us think soberly, we'll probably all find something. And in as much as you go and you confess that sin to the Lord, it's pleasing to him. And he sanctifies us and he helps us with that. He doesn't just leave you to wallow in it. He does something by the work of his spirit. It says in Galatians, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. And in there, there's freedom. So if there's any sin in your life that you're being casual or careless about, don't go on with that. Don't leave here and forget that. Don't go to sleep tonight and hold on to that. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to maybe someone you trust. Hope for healing. Aim at healing, because it's all about God's glory. Look at verse 22 through 38. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much. That is 250. I like that they (laughs) specify that. Half as much, 250 for you math geniuses. 250 of aromatic cane, 500 of Cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin, and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, and they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, thee on each and galbanum. I have no idea if that's how you say it, but you just say it confidently, and people believe you. Sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting. Where I shall meet with you, it shall be most holy for you, and the incense that you shall make, <coughs> according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves, it shall be holy for you to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Up until this point, here we see oil and, and incense, and up until that point where you see oil and incense, what are the two elements that we've seen used for sanctification in the temple? There were two other elements that we would see used for sanctification. Do you remember what they are before oil and incense? Blood and water. Way to go. Pretty good. Thought we'd take more time on that. The blood was for propitiation and the water was for cleansing. Now, what has to be done with the anointing oil? Like, what what were they going to do with it? What do you use anointing oil for? Anointing, yes, we're digging deep, we're digging deep. Uh, what does it mean to anoint? Say that again? Yeah, to pour it on, yeah, the actual literal meaning is to rub it or pour it on, is what anoint means. And in doing that, what you're doing is you're setting apart something is special. Now, why wasn't the oil to be mass-produced? I mean, you look at that, anything it touches is holy, so why can't I pour it on a person who's wicked? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's indeed fitting that the anointing oil itself should be uncommon and distinct and set apart as it would be used to make holy and set apart. Um, You you use the word valuable or not valuable. What makes something more valuable? Limited amounts. It's rare, it's unique. That's what makes something valuable. What makes something less valuable? When it's common. If it's common, it's less valuable. Uh, whose responsibility is it that the oil not be devalued? Whose responsibility is it in that passage? Look at verse 31. Who? Whose responsibility was it that it be kept holy? Yeah, generations, the people of Israel. I remember writing the first time I read through this, uh, they need to know that. Someone needs to tell them that. Someone needs to make sure that people know, hey, don't mess this up. This oil is serious. Don't go mass produce it and use it uh, for for common use. Um, The people of Israel are to know its value and to keep it. So anointing value. Well, how do we see Jesus in this? Well, he's the only savior. I mean, he's not one of many ways. To, to say, Jesus is a good guy and, and uh, you know, uh, I choose to follow him. If someone else decides there's another way, maybe that's what's good for them and that's fine. That actually profanes and devalues that which is true and right and good. It, 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 it says um, he's one of many as opposed to the only one, the one and only. Um, there's a difference there. So we have this holy oil to be used only for holy purposes. Verse 29 says, you shall consecrate them. What and who is them? Say that again. Aaron and his sons is the who and what's the what of them? The articles of the tabernacle, all of the things mentioned before, the utensils, the lampstand, the altar, all those things. Um, the priests and all the articles of the tabernacle worship. And then verse 29 goes on to say, whatever touches them will become holy. What does this mean? Yeah, set apart for God's use. Are we talking about magical transformation? No, obviously not. The objects connected with the tabernacle worship, listen to this, were anointed as a sign of the Lord's recognition, as a sign of the Lord's acknowledgement and approval of them as items to be used exclusively in his service, acceptable to God and effective for worshipers. This is what's okay, holy. oil touches those things God approves of, holy. It makes them holy, not in some magical transformation, but in as much as it is God, who is most holy and only resides in the holy of holies, says this is cool and good for God's people and pleasing to him. That's what's good. That's what we're going with. Now, today, how can we know if someone or something is truly anointed? Anointing is thrown around like a piece of trash in a lot of circles. Oh, the holy anointing over here. Holy anointing on that fake plant. How can we know true anointing? That's good. That's good. My wife bought some anointing oil, so it must be anointed, and all that it touches. They said it was. Yes. Yes. At the spiritual store. right? Um, how can we know? For the spirit? How else can we know? Is this right? Is this good? Is this anointed? If I'm asking, is this anointed? Ultimately I'm asking, does God approve of this? Does God see this as holy? Does anyone know what 2 Timothy 3:16 says? Just off the top of your head at all? Yes. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. How do we know if it's anointed? Is it say it in here? small groups are not anointed. But what we hope to accomplish through them is fellowship, evangelism, and making sure we are not only hearers of the word, but doers also. Those are anointed things. Holy God approves. But if two years from now, small groups has turned into a book club with dinner, which that's possible. If we're not careful... What are we going to do? Small groups What are we going to do? Well, let's read this book. Okay, well, what is wrong? Well, make, make sure you all have dinner. It could turn into a book and dinner club within a couple of years if we're not careful. Is that anointed? No. That's why we have to be careful about what we say is anointed and not anointed, pleasing to God and not pleasing to God. Because we could say, every other church in the area, y'all need to do small groups. That's pleasing to God, holy and anointed. No. If we said evangelism's not negotiable, fellowship's not negotiable, and uh, being doers of the word is not negotiable, that's true, that's good. So do you see what I'm saying? We have to be careful because what we can do is find good ideas, things that we would say are a worthwhile endeavor, and then we try to make that thing holy, and then as long as we can get people to keep following, we we make an idol of it, and, and it's bad. I've told you all about how in 2002, I had a failed Taco Bueno church endeavor in my life where I was sort of frustrated with the church. a little bit disenfranchised. There was this cool Taco Bell building when they used to be adobe and cool and and, uh, they always smell a little funny. And it was uh, a building and I thought, man, I want to start something there. I want it to be like a place for, it'll be better than church. Lucky lightning didn't strike right there. And it'll be true and good and we'll have good music and not crummy music because I'm tired of Christian music all being lame and we'll have uh, like a cafe and good coffee and it'll be good fellowship and just be a place where, where it's not full of, 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 of the typical backbiting and bitterness in church. And I'm like better in my words as I'm saying that. And, uh, and what I, I saw that is this like anointed thing. Where I'm like, that's good. I'm going to do that. Anointed. God approves. We're moving forward. No. Thank the Lord. They don't give loans to young people without jobs. We go to the word and we stay in the word. That's the point. If I would have done that, I would have set myself against the bride of Christ, the local church. That's what would have happened. Thinking it was anointed and holy and approved of by God and better than what he was actually saying is, is what's right. You should, you should be able to walk through junk with people. You should be a member of a church where you know that people are going to stink, people are going to fail you, you're going to fail people, y'all aren't always going to make the right decisions, um, there's going to be issues that you have to work through, but guess what? The gospel is what helps you do that. Christ has made it so that y'all can be reconciled no matter the circumstance. Christ has made it so that you don't bow down to bitterness and try to pursue something in, in place of it. You can actually work through that. You can be reconciled. God is that big. The gospel is that powerful. The love of Christ covers a multitude of sins, your sins and the sins that have been committed against you. So the point of this is we we gotta go to the word and we've got to stay in the word. At the end we see the incense, and it's a sweetness to the Lord's delight. Only in, in as much as there is exact preparation and exact ingredients. So we gotta be careful in the way we move forward. We gotta make sure, am I, am I, am I just trying to take good ideas and move Godward? Or am I moving Godward according to his plan and his purposes? Got to be careful. We noted last week that the incense is representative of the prayers of God's children. And here we see it's sweet. It is not to be used for ourselves, but only in the um, tabernacle worship. And so I'll end with a question and a a, a statement. The, The question is... When we see that where we cannot go, our, our prayers can, and that's in the presence of God, and that is holy, and God is in, Christ is there interceding for us. Uh, is that really precious to us? Is it really precious to us? As, as we're finishing this area of Exodus in, in the Bible, I kind of ask, is it precious to us that God would accept us because of what Christ has done, that we can pray? that he hears us, that he's full of compassion. Is that really precious to us? The thing that we've seen in these previous chapters in Exodus, and really since January, as we've come back into this study, is that these tabernacle realities, more than a blueprint, but showing the particulars of practical ministry, these tabernacle realities are the foundational truths that will keep Israel grounded in their worship as their conditions change in the coming generations. And so it is with you. Since 2003, the conditions of Changed a lot for Crosspoint. We're in a different building. There's a bunch of different faces that weren't here early on. There's been change. There's been growth. But as we move forward, it is this truth and this reality for Israel, the tabernacle realities, and for us even, these tabernacle realities that say, this is what the worship of God looks like. Conditions will change, times will change, trends will develop and go away. Culture will say this is important and then they'll say this is important, but this is how the people of God move. This is how we remain firmly grounded in our worship throughout the generations. This is how we make sure that our great-grandchildren aren't worshiping someone completely different than we're worshiping right now and thinking they're doing the same thing. This is how we make sure of that. We have to treat it seriously. I think this Exodus study has been Um, Very, very sweet and surprising in a lot of ways. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. It's all about how he's moving and always has moved. And uh, and we are blessed and encouraged and informed by it. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we love you very much. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, our time in Exodus. And I pray that it would continue to uh, inform us in our movement. And that we would not take our good ideas and hope you'll just bless them. But that we would ask, is this in line with the word? Is this good idea or this um, innovative thought, is it in line with the word? Or are we just taking something that's holy and treating it as common? Are we watering down truth? Lord, I also pray that as we leave here, um, if there's any sin that we're being casual or careless about, uh, I pray that you would help us to be mindful of that bronze basin that reminds us that though the the duties of the priesthood are very very important the way in which we approach them is very important as well unconfessed sin um, perpetuated sin um, will get in the way of the sacrifices and it will get in the way of how we view being in your presence and uh I pray that you would help us to to take seriously the call to to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us. Not to dabble, but to kill it. Lord, I also want to pray. I always worry as we move into May and June and the summer months that when we come back in August that everyone will have just completely forgotten everything that we've gone over in Exodus. And uh, I pray that I wouldn't be worldly and fleshly about it But I pray that you would help us um, cause in our hearts and our minds sort of a a preservation of these really beautiful truths that you have revealed to us. And help help them not just to be preserved thoughts, but help them to be preserved in the way that those thoughts have taken shape and and informed the actions and the movement and the obedience in our lives. You are great and greatly to be praised. The more we dig into these things, the more we understand what that even means. And how we can move, move in it faithfully. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good-